Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about emotional abuse. But before we jump into that topic, uh, let's talk a little bit about PeaceWorks University. I know every week I come back with a, an appeal to you to consider joining PeaceWorks University. And it's true, if you are benefiting from the content and the material on the PeaceWorks podcast, then I really think uh, you're going to benefit from PeaceWorks University. It's our o- online membership community. There are hundreds of hours of material, video-based material, uh, there in PeaceWorks University, along with toolbox items, success paths, uh, online community, live Q&As. It's really a, a great place to learn and grow, and we would love to have you in PeaceWorks University. Okay, so today's topic, we get asked a lot of questions about emotional abuse. And, you know, obviously in in 20 minutes or so, I'm not going to be able to nuance everything I think about when it comes to emotional abuse. So let me set the stage as to why this question gets so much airtime in the Christian community. Uh, When I work in secular environments or I work in team-based approaches where it's a multidisciplinary team, Uh, Emotional abuse is almost always categorized as just one aspect of the construct of abuse. That is to say that abuse, domestic abuse in particular for our conversation, is the use of power, or in our our take as Christians, the abuse of power uh, to control or dominate one's partner. And emotional abuse is just a category. It's just a Uh, a term that we use to describe certain aspects of domestic abuse. And I think it's important to to lay that out firmly, that when we talk about domestic abuse at PeaceWorks, we're not talking about um, is it mental abuse or is it emotional abuse? Is it psychological abuse or is it physical abuse? Abuse is, again, the abuse of power to dominate or control one's partner. And it can take all kinds of different forms or expressions, but really the construct stands strong, that the partner in power or the one abusing power is using that power to leverage, to dominate or control uh, their partner. And certainly emotional aspects of abuse play into that threat and I guess that's another thing to remind each other of, that the impact of abuse involves a a loss of safety for the victim. It involves a loss of sanity often for the victim. Uh, A lot of times when you're looking at the dynamics and impact of abuse, in the dynamics you're looking at the expressions of abuse, the way in which the construct is being built, right? how one is using power to control their partner. And the impact is the way in which it affects the one being controlled. Normally, you're looking for things like fear, not not uncertainty or um, insecurity in the victim. We're talking about threat 
and fear. So a, a real lack of safety or threat against one's safety or sanity. And then uh, also the impact, the way in which it's affecting the victim physically or um, mentally, cognitively, uh, listening and thinking through the, the aspects of the heart, as the Bible would tell us, which uh, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's the inner man. It's the cognition, emotion, and volition. So it's the idea of, does it affect the victim's thinking, the way the victim feels or expresses emotion, and the choices that the victim makes? So abuse is constrictive. And so be reminded of that as you're thinking through one, emotional abuse isn't a standalone category. It's just one way to express how power and control is being used. N number two is emotional abuse is still about power and control, the use of one or abuse of one's power to dominate their partner, not merely the tactics that one uses. Let me preface that again or, or say one other thing about this before I move into some descriptions. Years ago, I was, um, it seems like years ago, I was attacked uh, online by a critic who, who I felt was, um, was not being fair or honest with my material. And the, the decision that we made was to not engage. We chose to, to not engage, to try to practice aspects of biblical peace, you know, living and, uh, and, and not be affected by it. But when someone uses words that are harmful or derogatory, when they call you names, it hurts. And I have to admit, and I admitted to um, primarily members of PeaceWorks University who I had these conversations with, that that time in my life was painful. I was hurt by the words of others, and it affected me in some ways. But I never considered myself a victim of that person. Well, they had no power over me. Uh, they were in no way a threat to me physically, sexually, or mentally. Um, there was really no way that their words could affect me unless, of course, I, I chose to, to dwell on them or to allow them to affect me. My freedom wasn't restricted. My safety wasn't threatened. So while some people use the word abuse in regards to this person's language, I did not consider myself abused because I experienced hurt and pain, but no threat. And that also helped me recognize in many ways and empathize with the victims that we serve to say, look, if this affected me negatively with a person who has no power over me and can't control me or limit my safety or my sanity, how much more devastating is the effects of actual abuse. So I hope that adds some clarity and uh, at, you know, at least gives a clear indication of where I'm coming from and why I take abuse seriously and why, why I consider our standard a pretty high standard. So what is emotional abuse? Well, as I've said, it's just an aspect of the construct. It's a one way to express power and control. And that way of controlling another person is by using emotional um, connection. So the, the use of emotions to criticize or embarrass or to shame or to blame or manipulate the other person. 
a relationship is usually considered emotionally abusive uh, when there's a consistent pattern of what the world might call bullying. It is a a shame-based, guilt-based approach to draw out an emotional response or to produce an emotional conformity in the victim. I've heard some people say you can't abuse emotions. You can't abuse a person's love or um, anger or sadness. And, and I would I would disagree. I think what emotional abuse is, in our again in our worldview of power over, is manipulating and managing a, the way a person feels to um, coerce them or control them. To me, the most glaring example of this is when abusers threaten suicide. I think that's, it's such a common, unfortunately, a common tactic. But really, what is an abuser doing when they threaten suicide? They are using their partner's concern and love for them as a weapon. And what else would we call that as we're trying to wrap our mind? Obviously, this person's, you know, a person in power, they're using their power to control, and suicide becomes an effective threat because they know that their partner loves them and they will conform if they threaten suicide. To me, that's a glaring expression of you, or a glaring example of using, one, using one's love to control. The underlying goal when you're interacting with an emotionally abusive um, individual, and again, I, I don't particularly, and I just want to be clear again, I don't particularly like that term. We're talking about domestic abuse as expressed emotionally, but the goal is often to control the victim through a series of discrediting, and that's not just discrediting um, from the outside, such as helping them or helping them, um, causing them or contributing to them. Uh, other people's thoughts about them, but discrediting them from the inside, their own personal perspective of themselves. I think this is one of the things that's hard for us in the biblical world and conservative Christian world is um, we don't like a lot of the way the culture has elevated self-esteem to this high category, almost idolatrous, I would say idolatrous category. And we would agree that people need a high Jesus esteem more than need a high self-esteem. But what emotional abuse is doing is discrediting one's own understanding of self. And that will ultimately and inevitably discredit and confound and confuse what Jesus has already said about this person. This can usually occur through aspects of isolating and through silencing. In the end, the feelings of being trapped and confined are often communicated by the victim. Uh, having little options, and again, having restricted freedom. Um, but the person's usually too wounded, harmed, or diminished to um, escape. And by escape, I mean properly confront or set proper boundaries. That's one of the reasons. <clears throat> Many of my friends who work with victims uh, talk about um, aspects of personal development and strength. Uh, I think of my friend Leslie Vernick who uses the term core strength. One of the aspects of an individual crushed under the weight of abuse, and in particular emotional aspects of abuse, 
is the need for boundaries and restrictions and self-care that's going to help them develop the strength necessary, right, to stand up to the abuse uh, rather than simply endure or conform to the abuse. And certainly we could go on and on and on and on and on about the need to assemble teams and proper confrontation. But for our purposes today, we're just trying to give a little clarity to what is a confusing term. Uh, a couple of the aspects of, of this that are most visible, especially when you're interacting with an abusive person, is the notion of superiority. Uh, most abusers who, who practice this thread, who find themselves here, um, will, will act superior. And it can, it can come off as, as humble or righteous, a lot of self-righteousness here, that presents the victim as a sufferer of their own design of you know needing help and that the abuser is somehow above them uh, spiritually mentally logic's a big one i hear that a lot you know well she's emotional and i'm logical um, and, and you'll see that played out in the life of the abuser in the relationship though the the partner abusing power then from a superiority standpoint will treat them as inferior, which has an effect on how you feel and think, right? There'll be a great deal of blame, blaming, especially when it comes to mistakes or shortcomings. There's not a whole lot of room for being flawed. In fact, there, it's, this is a dichotomy, especially in the aspect of emotional abuse, a, a clear picture of human depravity and human fragility. As the as the abuser operates in their own depravity through, through wickedness and sinfulness of manipulation and coercion and threat, while the victim operates in their fragility uh, and the brokenness of humanity, there's, there's a clear bifurcation in many ways. Uh, although the victim will continue to be sinful and the perpetrator will continue to be broken, there's a clear delineation that, he, that the perpetrator is primarily operating in sin and wickedness while the um, victim is operating in fragility. And that actually um, makes matters worse. And it's not victim blaming. I'm just saying the, the flawed nature of humanity will be highlighted in the perpetrator's behavior over and over and over and over again because the perpetrator's superior, the victim's inferior. Uh, you'll see this a lot with condensation, talking down to somebody, constant critique, contempt, disdain, um, all of which, again, are leveraged to produce fear, threat, uh, lack of freedom. There's always, um, the perpetrator's usually always right, always better, always smarter. Um, you know, and so superiority is a big part of that. So is uh, control, obviously. The ultimate goal, as we said, is to control and so don't be surprised, too, if you have um, aspects of emotional abuse that include constant criticism. And this is sometimes where I get pushback saying, well, see, women are just as abusive as men. And, and I don't know anybody in a relationship that likes to be criticized, especially if they think it's unfair. Uh, I have worked with many, many perpetrators who have tried to mutualize the abuse and say, well, my wife is also critical of me. Um, however, when we press into them, the, the vast majority of perpetrators are not afraid of their victim. 
they're not restricted in their movement or freedom. They're not um, losing their mind or feeling uh, as if they're losing themselves. And so that's a huge distinction. And it's something that men in particular should wrestle with and say, okay, I'm annoyed. Um, but being annoyed is not the same as being abused. Even if my wife is, you know, A, B, C, or D, contentious or sinful or ugly, those are things that should be addressed. Uh, but they, they are distinct, I think, than what we're talking about in many cases in which power is being leveraged. Uh, sometimes you'll see this in demands, um, knowing where the partner is all the time, keeping you know tight records of money that's spent. And so you see the overlap now, right? So econ- I just included economic abuse and isolation. But that goes back to the original point, which is emotional abuse is not a standalone category. The, the construct of abuse, of power over, is the category and emotional aspects of that are just one way that we as humans try to clarify, right? Um, This could be monitoring an individual, uh, tracking their phone, lowjacking the car, which isn't as popular now as it used to be, but it still happens, Um, controlling all the finances, um, using jealousy. I see this a lot, um, in particular in guys who use jealousy to produce aspects of, of emotional control. Obviously, accusations are part of this, um, constant check-ins, and so on. Some things that uh, I think is important is as you're pulling the rope and listening, listen for the impact again, the way in which the victim is perceiving the world. Um, And you'll see the effect that constant criticism, name-calling, and all these other aspects of what we call emotional abuse play and weigh on the heart of a victim. Uh, be looking for uh, signs of confusion and uh, despair or depression, anxiety, concern, health problems uh, such as high blood pressure, digestive issues, uh, panic attacks. Uh, these are not uncommon. Uh, mental health diagnoses uh, such as bipolar or borderline personality disorder, all um, And again, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, but many victims who experience trauma, even from an emotional abusive standpoint, right, will have um, diagnoses of mental health disorders that are really um, more tied to their experiences. I'm not saying that you, you know, self-diagnose. I think you should go see somebody and talk to someone about this. Uh, but it's not uncommon, and that plays right into the abuser narrative that she's crazy or she's less than, and again, I'm better. So it is a cycle. Uh, rather than it being a cycle like this, it's more of a spiral that occurs, and that's something that people helpers should be aware of. Um, some of the things that, that victims can do is understand who you are in Jesus that your identity is not in the way in which you're being treated, but the, the, the way in which Christ has uh, redeemed you, designed you, adopted you, all of those positional uh, aspects of the gospel. Uh, establish boundaries. It's okay to establish healthy boundaries. You're going to want some safety planning um, because escalation is likely, and so you're going to want to seek help from an advocate or a trained counselor who possibly could help you build that plan, but boundaries are going to be necessary. Um, Stop blaming yourself for your abuser's actions and take responsibility 
for you, not the ways that you cultivate, create, or invite the abuse because you don't do that, but the ways in which you respond to the abuse are things that you have control over. Uh, sometimes we call that, you know, uh, the circles of life, big circles and little circles. Uh, you know, what is, what are you responsible for? And taking ownership of that, not being responsible for the abuse, that is your abuser's problem, but being responsible for how you respond and what your next steps are and for self-ownership and agency. Realize that your role in this world is not to repair or redeem another person. Only Jesus can do that. And so leave room for the Holy Spirit to convict, for God to provide justice um, and and in, avoid um, as much as possible engaging in that conversation of um, how you can take responsibility for your abuser's behavior. It's not your circle. So I hope that was helpful. I, I, I know it's a very brief covering of a very broad topic, but my prayer is that uh, today's podcast has been helpful, at least unpacking that emotional abuse is not some kind of standalone uh, category, but it's part of a larger construct. Hopefully, we can see that emotional abuse does involve power, control, threat, and fear, and that there's hope, and that that hope is wrapped in uh, a person. His name is Jesus, and uh, in his people, the church. So thank you again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. I hope, uh, again, that this has been helpful. If you want to learn more, about domestic abuse prevention and intervention from a gospel-centered perspective, uh, consider joining us in PeaceWorks University. You can learn more at chrismoles.org. Thank you again for joining us, and until next time, God bless.